0: Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today we're going to be looking in Matthew's Gospel and, and Chapter 12. I'm going to be flicking about a little bit. So the series we're doing for September is called Bad Breath. Now there's a few reasons and I want to unpack that as an idea, I want to unpack that as a message today and the reason why we're talking about it in that way. So in the Hebrew, the word for spirit is Ruach. Now Ruach means wind, it means spirit, it means breath and it can also overlap into some other circles of mindset and attitude. Mindset and attitude. So the reason i wanted to talk about bad breath was often when you speak about any ever touch on the subject of evil spirits for a lot of people it conjures up the exorcist comes to mind and if it doesn't conjure up the exorcist it'll be kind of going to maybe a particular pentecostal charismatic church if you've ever been through a deliverance service at any of those kind of churches oh my day sometimes it can really be frightening and i mean frightening I have to say, I grew up at a church from about 10 to age 25 in Croydon where an amazing guy called John Edwards, who I feel is really unique on this because he's been the only person I've ever seen doing deliverance where madness is happening in the church. And he, as a small child, I didn't feel afraid. I didn't feel afraid because he'd stand at the front, calm as you like, like Virgil van Dijk, center of defense for Liverpool, calm as you like. He'd be going, don't worry, friends. You know, our brother here is just experiencing something he's being influenced by evil spirits but we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has all authority and so we're just going to take authority together just if you like to just pray where you are and pray for our, our dear brother here and he just talk you through it what's going on you feel calm as a kid even though there was madness screams and chairs going places that shouldn't go calm as you like because he talked us through and then when he prayed you never heard he was afraid and when he prayed he never had to raise his voice he was never shouting or screaming, he was never competing with anything, he was just like, coming out in the name of Jesus. And you see the most miraculous stuff, you see people's lives absolutely transformed and I'm so grateful I had someone like that in my life. And so when we talk about bad breath, I'm talking about it in this way because one of the key things you have to have in life if you're going to come against something which is an element of the unknown to you, it's an unknown entity, you need to have faith not fear. And when people talk about evil spirits, when I've seen people doing deliverance, all sorts of kind of things, it's really fear driven. It's like they give kind of limelight to it, like it's an entertainment piece in some churches. In other churches, I've seen all different kinds of things. But yet, when I read the Gospels, Jesus is never afraid in any of these situations. He's never overcome by fear, He's never worried. And so, we need to approach it in the same way. Now, if someone, and I've had this many times, so I drink way too much coffee, I'm drinking it this morning. So my breath with coffee, geez, like it's, it can be crazy bad by the end of the day because to get me through the job I do, I sometimes drink way too much just to keep me going through all the running that I have to do, which my legs just can't do at the age I'm at. Now, if someone said to me like, oh, you've got bad breath, like I'm not afraid. There's a mint for that. There's a mint for that. There's tree board. There's an extra mint. I could get some toothpaste. I can get some mouthwash. There's so many things I can do in that moment. There's no fear element to it. So I want to talk about it as bad breath because I don't want any of us to ever feel fear in these situations and in this subject. So Matthew 12, and I want you to look with me at verse 43. And we'll be reading down to 45 really short passage but so much happens before this kind of connects to where Jesus goes so I'm going to unpack this a little a little bit backwards when the unclean spirit Jesus speaking has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none then it says I will return to my house from which I came and when it comes it finds the house empty swept put in order then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first and then he says so it will be with this evil generation i find it really interesting a few things happen in this passage it starts off with him and his disciples doing some things on the sabbath it starts off with um, them feeding themselves with grain and people are shots fired. They don't like it. It's Sabbath. You shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus goes, hey, David did this in the temple. He, he ate the bread. Like, this is a good thing to do. This isn't a bad thing. And then he moves on. And then he heals a man with a withered hand. People are still upset. It's the Sabbath. He goes, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath with this guy? Like, what's going on? Um, and he talks about it in this way. People are a little bit upset of what's going on. We move further on in the passage. Then he starts setting people free. He gives this guy who's blind and, and um blind deaf, dump he can't really speak and, and Jesus heals him by casting out the evil spirit and then everyone's kind of blown away by this and he starts talking about it but then the people say the Pharisees say he's done this by Beelzebub he's done this by the devil Jesus goes well how does a kingdom that is divided stand it doesn't stand you can't be divided you can't be working against each other how can I do this by this it, that doesn't even make any sense he starts to unpack it more and more then he starts to talk about judgment for the generation that are there, which kind of connects to where I'm going to with this bit. So he starts to say, well, hey, let's look back at a moment in time and let's look at, at the time of Jonah. Let's look at the time of Jonah. He says, Nineveh had judgment, but when Nineveh stands, Nineveh will cast judgment on you lot. Nineveh will cast judgment on you lot because Nineveh saw and heard from God and they repented. They didn't just go like, oh, we're sorry they turned away, did a different way of living their lives and conducting themselves as a community, they'll stand and judge you. Then he goes, let's talk about the Queen of the South. She travelled a long way to hear Solomon's wisdom. She will stand judgment over you lot because someone greater than Solomon is here and you're not ready to reach out and travel to connect with this wisdom. You're not ready to receive what I'm saying. And then he moves on to this bit and he's talking about explaining and unpacking to them more about what deliverance is like because he says your sons cast demons out well whose power do they do that by and then in this one where they're accusing him he, he goes to reveal more to them than what they already known because they wouldn't have seen this they wouldn't have known this but Jesus has all understanding which is why he's never afraid when it comes to evil spirits he says when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places seeking rest finds none then it says I'll go back to the house in which I came When it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, put in order, and then it goes out, brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. The last state of the person is worse than the first. So it will be with this generation. With what generation? Well, when he looks at these people, the Pharisees so often, and I say this all the time, Christians just absolutely smash the Pharisees. They always say, like, like there's this division between Jesus and the Pharisees, and it's, it's not really true. They have a different way of seeing things, but the Pharisees out of the religious groups at the time were the closest in opinion to Jesus. So when Jesus clashes with them, it's because he's setting up a different stool, saying, this isn't what true what they're saying, and I have to show you it differently. He doesn't have any dislike for them. He has no dislike for them. They're, the, they're in the closest camp to him. So it'd be like Pentecostal charismatics. There's a little bit of difference between them on a few little things, but they're closest camps together. Jesus here, he's talking to this people group, not a people group he necessarily dislikes, and he's making them aware of something so key and so important. I think when we talk about spirit, as I started off with the definition of Ruach and in the New Testament with, with, with Numa, and we talk about wind and we talk about breath and we talk about spirit, we gravitate more to using the word spirit as the expression because it's more of the unknown, so you don't have to quantify it at all. And for some reason, Christians feel more comfortable with the unknown entity rather than the more known ones of wind, breath, and then we loosely get over to mentality, mindset, and attitude. And I think one of the things that I found that people never do deliverance for is the other attributes. It's always just spirit and the unknown quantity. Yet here, Jesus says something really interesting in this passage. So the unclean spirit is removed. The house is clean and tidy, and for some reason, a clean and tidy house is a problem. And I find that really fascinating. A clean and tidy house is a problem in this instance. So I want to encourage us to get a little bit messy in our lives, which is probably a bit of a strange one to suggest this morning. I want us to get a little bit messy. You see, what happens here is the house is vacant, and I think a lot of Christians leave their houses really nicely swept when it comes to their temple their body, who they are, their lives. So if we think of our body as a temple, we think of our whole life as a a, a dynamic of a house that's nicely swept. Here's a nicely swept house. A nicely swept house is a show house. You go into it, you go to some friends, and they go, oh, I'm so sorry, it's such a mess. But really, it's the best it's ever looked, because you've just come round. Like, everyone's a liar in that situation. It looked trash about an hour ago, but it looks great right about now when you step in, and everyone does that. And that's kind of what this passage is. It's, it's just left looking like a pretty, perfect show house. It looks great to the religious eye. It looks really good to the religious eye. But when you get a bit closer to it, it's not so hot. Here's how the application of it works. A really well-swept left house is a house that has some religious Christian ideology but doesn't really look to action anything. Here's a really religious house, nicely swept and left ready for this spirit's evil brethren to come and fill it. It comes to a service that's a worship service. It's really ready to receive from the Holy Spirit and have an amazing encounter with God. It has zero intention of that overflowing on Monday to anyone else it meets. That's a really nicely swept house. Oh, it's beautiful. You walk around the house and you go, oh man, look at this place. Look at the table, look how neatly set. Oh, this place is amazing. This place is brilliant, but it's void and it's empty and things are gonna get really bad in that house really fast, you wouldn't think it. You think that house is prestige. You think that's the house to model your life on. I've met loads of people, I've been mentored by people. I've modeled my life on a house that is nicely swept, but on Monday has no desire whatsoever. Of seeing anyone else receive the goodness they've received. It's a nicely swept house. When I started to think about this house, I started to realise that maybe some areas of my life, I've got my house really nicely swept. And I think the last couple of weeks, my prayer just every single day has been the same two things. And it's from Ephesians. It said, Lord, enlighten the eyes of my heart that I see you and I see people how you want me to see them. And then it's been Ephesians 3, Lord, strengthen me in the inner man. I want to be strong in the inner man. I don't want to be giving people the limp stuff anymore. I want to give people all the goodness I have for them because when you encounter a friend who can't have children and they're dying inside and you know they're dead inside but you know you have a spring within you that wells up to eternal life. When you know that you have a Jesus who steps into those situations and brings healing but you can't, you know it's because you've got a nicely swept religious house but you don't have anyone living there. You don't have anyone living there. So I don't think it's enough to just encounter the Holy Spirit You've got to give him unrestricted access to the whole house. Because a lot of Christians will do this. We'll want to receive something of God, but then when it comes to like, oh, don't come in the kitchen. Don't touch my food. Like, I've got friends and family coming around that need to eat, like, that I need to connect with. Like, don't come into this room. Oh, no, don't come into the bedroom because I like to keep this a certain way. Don't come into this room because... And then before you know it, the Holy Spirit is, like, supposed to be in a closet under the stairs. That's a nicely swept house. You see, Jesus says to that generation, I can set you free. I can cast things out of you. I can cast things out of you. That's no problem. I can set you free. Don't worry about it. No problems. This this, this can go, but he goes, the problem I see when I look at you as a generation is you'll experience this freedom that I'm going to give you, but you're just going to leave the house swept. You're not going to fill it with something new. You're not going to fill it with my discipline. You're not going to fill it with my actions. You're not going to fill it with my love. You're not going to fill it with my compassion. And then what happens is we walk around with a Christianity that's really just bad breath. No one wants to spend time with you. No one wants to spend time with me because I haven't got the things I've had before. I know those times when I've got it. I know those times when the house ain't swept. The house gets a bit muddy sometimes because I'm active. The house gets a bit of a mess sometimes because I'm reaching out. The house gets a little bit inconvenient sometimes because I'm going where the Lord has sent me. The state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this generation. I want to change that from just this generation as he's speaking to there. I read this message and I, realize, I read it as shots fired for me. I read it as Jesus shooting off the bow saying, so it will be with you. This is how it will be with you. I'll set you free, Andrew, no problem. You've got that problem in your life. You've got that habit. You've got that mentality. You've got that bad breath. Oh, I'll set you free. But when, when the house is clean, Andrew, I need you to fill it. I need you to fill it with my presence. I need you to fill it with my spirit. But... Andrew, I don't really do this just for it to be for you. I do it for you because I love you, but I do it because there's so many kids you're going to meet. There's so many of my children that you just need to be ready for me to flow out of. But that's a house that is well, well lived. So indicators of bad breath. When you have bad breath, people don't really want to spend that much time with you they don't want to spend much time with they stay at a distance and you know when that changes you see how people's behavior around you changes the question i have for you today and for you to think through is actually are there any indicators at the moment in my life that tell me my house is just well swept empty not just ready for me to be free, but going to invite so much more problems on me. And I think a lot of Christians live unfulfilled Christian lives because they're like, this is such a mess. This is so hard. And it's purely because of this one principle. The house is just nicely swept. And then the second thing is if we see those indicators, what are we going to do about it? Well, over the course of this series... Next week we're going to unpack, we're going to go through learning, we're going to have conversation one from another, we're going to learn from each other, we're going to hear from each other, we're going to hear through God as we do that. And then the week after that we're also going to have a real time of prayer where God is going to do whatever it is that he wants to do. And then at the end of the series we're going to have a time of worship. And I generally believe as we go through this process, and the key part of the process is this, is what does it look like for my house to not be empty? What does it look like for me to not be empty? What does that look like? I would say it looks like this. I would say when the house isn't empty, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but you're living a life that is ready for it to flow out to others around you. You're intentionally doing that. And you're intentionally refilling the house. You're intentionally using the house all the time. Not as some religious ritual but there's a relationship where God is flowing out. I'm gonna pray for us today. Holy Spirit, would you come? For for many of us, God, we've had maybe stale, bad breath that comes from a dead religion. We know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know he, he forever lives to intercede for us. We know, Holy Spirit, that as he died on the cross, temple veil was torn in two that you flew out we know that in acts people were baptized in your holy spirit the day of pentecost game changer we've all experienced and encountered these things in our lives but sometimes god even those that have opinions that are very close to yours like the pharisees we can be more like them than we are like you and sometimes we can have a dead mentality that leads us to a place where we don't have freshness anymore, where we're not alive anymore, where things are actually worse than the time when you set us free initially and it's purely because we've left the house as a showroom and you didn't call your people to be dead, stoic showrooms, but you called us to be living homes, vibrant with life and all the complications that come with it. You called us to be people that encounter you and are filled by your Holy Spirit but are active with you, constantly receiving the goodness and freely giving it away. Father, I pray for us now, Lord, those of us maybe that have a case of bad breath, I pray right now in the name of Jesus you would set us free by the power of your blood shed upon that cross for us that we would experience new freedom. But I pray also, God, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would come and fill us again, fill us afresh. But God, you never do it just solely for us to live a selfish life, but a selfless life. That you would flow out through us this week, that we would have something worth giving to the people you bring our way. In Jesus' name, amen. really hope you enjoyed today's message, and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.lund.com. We